1: Welcome to another edition of Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host, and this is day three for me here in Doha, Qatar. As you can tell, the background, I am in my very plain hotel room. Uh, I'll be here for the entire group stage of the World Cup, where many expect Argentina to win their third world title. And so today I'm joined by Jasmine Garst, NPR correspondent and host of the new podcast series, The Last Cup. The Last Cup is a unique podcast about Lionel Messi's last chance for vindication as he hopes to lead Argentina to the World Cup title in Qatar. So, Jasmine, welcome to Copa. How are you?
2: Thank you so much for having me. And you forgot that you're on the Last Cup extensively. You're one of like our main voice. Is on. I
1: mean, there's some there's some heavy hitters on this podcast, by the way. So I'm like very honored to have been on it. Uh, and yeah, we recorded uh, I think you interviewed me a few months ago. And it was like, there was a lot of anticipation I could tell from you about this podcast. And like, I didn't really know the scope of it, even when we were talking. And now that it's a real live baby. <laughs> like, what has it been like? What has it been like for you to just get this off the ground?
2: I mean it's been it's been wonderful like the the reception has been so warm um I I mean there's like two kinds of people who are writing in one is you know the soccer fan who came for like technique and story and analysis who is a huge Felipe Cardenas fan and we also have people like Alexis Nunes from ESPN we have um uh, Kay Murray from ESPN, we have like a lot of analysis. And so we're getting that fan who's like, oh, I love soccer and I love hearing about these details. And we're also getting people who are like, either I don't know about soccer or I don't like soccer, but I love the story that is being told here about, you know, Lionel Messi's story is really a story also about leaving home and yearning to come back and realizing it's not that easy to come back. Um, And so, yeah, I think like we're a lot, we are getting such a variation of responses, you know, a lot of Latin Americans, which makes me very, very happy.
1: Well, I, I like to do this. I like to surprise people, uh, like guests on my show. Like I'll read tweets about their work or reviews. And I just found some reviews about the last cup so far. Listen to these, listen to these comments, beautifully told amazing show Great podcast. There's one one guy just wrote in Spanish, Gol, to describe <laughs> his emotion about this podcast. Uh, so enjoying this reflection about Messi, the author's journey, immigration, and the beautiful game. And I want to get into that because the, the last cup was described to me um, as a, a story for anyone who's ever felt like an outsider in their own home. Oh my gosh. As an immigrant, um, I could totally relate to that. And I know that it certainly relates to you as an Argentine and and that's a big part of the podcast series like this story about Lionel Messi from your lens so now that it's a reality again can you walk us through how you've done this how you're telling the story about one of the most famous figures in sport in culture but it's there's a story about you as well Jasmine
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we talk so much about Lionel Messi as, like, this superstar, the GOAT, uh, you know, like, he's this, like, amazing phenom in Spain, right? But as an Argentine, for, like, up until 2020, 2021, I mean, he was, like, either disliked in Argentina or, Hmm. eh, sure. He's fine, whatever, um, you know. And I mean that there was like a real like dissonance that was fascinating and sometimes painful to watch. You know, like you're the best, or you're you're amazing abroad, and then back home, it's like. Well, yeah it's like the,
1: the shirt the shirt was too heavy for him. the Argentine shirt was too heavy for him is what they say right before he won Copa America. Yeah it's incredible how yeah imagine how many countries would love to have Leonel Messi as their compatriot.
2: Yeah, and I think that when I would hear this, I, you know, in my, my day job is I'm um, a correspondent for NPR. I cover a lot of immigration um, and I've, I've covered a lot of immigration in, in as a reporter. And, you know, I'm also, I'm from Argentina. I came a few months after uh, Leo Messi, like during the 2001, there was a collapse in Argentina, like the country essentially collapsed and my family was like, we we need to go now, um, and you know, there, there obviously, Leo Messi now he he lives in a very rarefied life. He's a millionaire. He's famous. He has a very good life. But there there were some echoes and themes that I kept hearing, like among every person who has emigrated, and even in my own life, like there were some commonalities, which were like. You know, I left. I wonder what would have happened if I had stayed.
1: Oh, um, gosh, I think that all the time.
2: <laughs> who would I, I think
1: it all the time? Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and depending on, you know, depending on how you emigrated and how dire your situation was, it's even a bigger, I think, question. Right. Like what would mm. have happened if I had stayed? Um, also, you know, who can I ever go back? Do I want to go back? And, also, this feeling that I kept hearing, I remember having um, this conversation with an Ecuadorian friend of mine, who was like, I go back and I'm treated like a foreigner. I tal gringo. You know? Yeah, exactly. uh, like, please don't speak Spanish, you're embarrassing us. We're gonna get mugged. Yeah. And, yeah. and like this whole identity thing, and you know, to some degree, the messy story i think is that story you know like he keeps trying to come back to argentina and people keep being like well, who are you like oh big deal you made it in spain you know like show us what you got like you think you're hot and that was his story up until the last corba america it was hard to watch
1: it was, i mean the the fall and the rise is fascinating of Lionel Messi and you're right there there were times where it was simply oh the shadow of Diego Maradona it's just too you know no one can no one can suppress that not even Messi but with Messi it came to the point where you know even when you just extracted the this incredible figure that is Diego around the oh. world um Messi just seemed uncomfortable playing for Argentina like it was as if that pressure was was too much, and I remember Jasmine when when they lost the Copa America in 2016, which was the second one in a row. His quotes are like when you hear them now. He says something like, "It's just not going to happen for me." Yeah, and yeah. this is a guy that's won everything, and and so I, I think the podcast is really interesting because you hear the actual voices from the Argentine people. Um, that is yeah. that criticized him so much. The audio, the production is really good. That, that's what's I think keeping people glued is that like the storytelling that you brought that you mentioned. Um, y- your background, though, I remember uh, reading. You've also covered criminal justice. Um, yeah. How, how has that and, and immigration, like you mentioned before, but like how have all of those things combined to make this story about Messi as unique as it is.
2: I mean, I think a couple of things like, yeah, again, like looking through working with and being part of immigrant communities, like, first of all, it's this theme that you keep hearing, like, you know, my like this really complicated relationship. And we also in episode, um, I'm losing track of the episodes, in episode four, we go into a little bit of the, the resentment, like, I speak to people back home, who are really near and dear to my heart who like I went back and, and I wanted them so much to say like I missed you so much and they their response was like yeah I missed you but I was also really angry you know that, that, that mm. you left and, and I was stuck I was here in a really bad situation and I think like we extrapolate and are like try to have some also compassion for people who were really hating on Messi you know like oh great yeah. you left to Europe at when we were sinking you know, like there's a, a, you're you yourself as a Colombian American, like you must know, like this feeling, you know, of like it's very very complex. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. people have also asked me why why do it bilingual, and I mean, I think Messi's story is universal, but it's also profoundly Latin American.
1: Oh you yes. Know? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. This is a bilingual yeah. podcast. You can listen to it in English or Spanish, and. I don't know which version is better, honestly. I think the Spanish version is really good. It's just like very (laughs) homey. You know, it's just like feels very genuine. Uh, They're both excellent. uh, But it's great that you can reach out to two sort of different populations. Um, But yeah, go on. It's very very Latin American. The story of Messi is very Latin American. What do you mean by that?
2: I mean, I think that there's like a commonality in like, like, like leaving and just looking back and being like how am i going to navigate this relationship i love this place so much um you know it's it's interesting i don't know if this happens to you but like i sometimes i'll get questions um mostly from non-latino people who are like what do you think when is soccer gonna catch on in the u.s soccer is (laughs) soccer gonna finally catch on and i'm like what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> we've been answering that question for decades. I know, I know. It's
2: also like, what, what America are you talking about? Because, like, I mm. live in a Colombian, Ecuadorian neighborhood, and like, like we've been here. You know, like, <laughs> like it's, like, I mean, like, soccer is huge, depending on which America you go to, and like, right now, like, to me, the U.S. is. Latino. So like, soccer's always been big. It's just you weren't tuning in. And now you get to yeah. tune in. That's my feeling. I don't know how you feel about it.
1: No, I, and- I agree. I, th- I think there's a lot of that I've taken away from the podcast. And you brought it up here is that like, first of all, to go back a couple, uh, you know, stages of this conversation where you mentioned, what do I think about when I le- if I had I not left Colombia when I was like 10 years old, I would get mad at my dad, I'd say, Why did we leave? Like, cause my cousins were all my age and it was so fun to visit them. And I wanted to talk like them. Um, and it was, I could tell it was hard for my dad to answer that question. Um, yeah. The soccer thing, it's like, I grew up in the Midwest and all I did was play soccer and it was not a popular sport in the Midwest, but it was like, all I did, it was all my, my group of friends we did it. We played from U10 to U19. It was part of our life. I think we always knew though, we were playing like a niche sport. Uh, and I know that because my dad and I had to like do so much to watch South American football on TV. You know, like we had to travel two hours to watch a game or like my dad had to like risk his life to put an antenna on the roof.
2: But Uh, he did and and he did it. He did it. And that because it. it mattered. It mattered. Right.
1: And and that's the difference. I think that is the story of all of us Latinos with football. Um, Jasmine, I want to ask you something about this podcast that I think is really interesting. So what is what is an Argentine soccer player? Like, what is the profile? Because I think there's something here that, like, Messi doesn't match it. He doesn't fit the profile. Yeah. Like, what is it then? Like, I have my opinion, but I would love to hear from you. Like, what is the traditional Argentine player?
2: Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I think in the 90s, which is this era that we're focusing on, things really change. And in that sense, it changes because this is also a podcast about economics and, you know, um, neoliberalism in the 90s in Latin America, right? Up until the 90s, the profile is Maradona, you know? Like, the profile is you're going to start out in, in, the, in your neighborhood. You're going to get neighborhood famous. Like there's like the dream in Argentina, like in Latin America is, is very, um, it's about poverty. And it's a, it's a very racial dream too, you know? You're gonna start like Maradona and like, you're gonna come out of poverty or, you know, a, a very difficult situation. You're gonna get barrio famous. Then maybe like you'll play for a club like Newell's, Boca Juniors, River Plate and get national famous then maybe you're going to go to the World Cup. And then then you might go to Europe. And if you think about it, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but like the 78 winning team, Mm -hmm. it was like on that squad, I think it was like three players played abroad.
1: Yeah, yeah, that wasn't happening yet.
2: No, 86, it was like, and again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but 86, it was something like, Five or six players. Yes, played it,
1: it, the '86 Argentine team was unsung. Yes, it had the greatest player, in my opinion, of all time, in Diego at his peak. But that team wasn't star-studded at all.
2: No, and then you look at the team today, and I think it's like two two of those kids play in Argentina.
1: Yes, they're
2: yeah. all playing yeah. Europe. And you said that brilliantly. You were like, something happened where Latin America became. This like B team almost for Europe, like this feeder team, and in the podcast we really trace that moment, which is the 90s, and a bunch of things are happening. Like, Argent, the Argentine economy is like collapsed; it's just imploding. Um, you know, there were similar crises going on throughout Latin America. Then you have foot soccer, football, is getting. It's always been big in Europe, but it's becoming like a multi-million dollar yes. industry have cable coming in sky news you know massive um, arenas are being built uh they just money's being pumped in and european teams are like we should invest in south american players <laughs> and really young too because that's cheaper so the profile changes and i think that's this Messi is kind of caught like right in the in the fissure of like a historic moment like this like tectonic shift in identity like it wasn't cool to leave it wasn't you didn't do that not at 12 you did that oh, like no. Maradona like deep into his career um,
1: and, and you bring yeah. it up in the podcast as the exploitation of talent there's an exploitation of talent and like people forget oh, Messi's story is so great 12 years old goes to La Masia and like he becomes a star but you're right it was unfashionable and, and honestly, let's just be frank, like it was looked down upon to to leave your country at such a young age and and bypass the process and the path of like going through La Academia de Boca and, and, and going through those steps of like six divisions and battling yep. your 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 neighbors and, and to your point, becoming a star in Argentina. But we're still doing that, Jasmine, like that part of the game has just exploded uh yeah and now south american players are still viewed as like hey let's get let's bring let's get them as young as they can as long as we 100%. can bring them now
2: you know what's wild i went to rosario to messi's hometown and i was talking to kids who train at new at the youth academies which is like they start at like four you have these kids that are like the ball is about as big as them yeah and they're just like you know um and th- I would ask these kids like these 9 year olds like what's the dream. And I literally had kids who were like I want ganar plata euros. I want to make oh, euros. Wow. Um Manchester United. You know, Yeah, el the bling. yeah and it's like the yeah. dream shifted and I think that's why people were really freaking out with Messi because it's like this moment of a shift that really parallels a bigger like socioeconomic shift. And I think to some degree, people freaked out with Scaloni about that. Cause let's not forget that Scaloni, uh, the Argentina coach, he has like a super similar story, almost to almost identical,
1: almost identical, not made in Argentina, not made here. So we don't, we're not sure about you has a home in, in Majorca, you know, likes living in Spain, not cool for Argentina. And, and, yeah, that, that's why those two are so close, Messi and Scaloni, honestly, in my yeah. opinion.
2: A hundred percent. I think Scaloni, like, there's this, I was watching yesterday this press conference, old press conference with um, Scaloni. And, and like, literally, he's having to talk about his credentials. They're like, well, but are you a coach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. what do you want? You want to see my ID? Well, yeah, I'm a coach. <laughs> I could have brought my certificate um and so yeah i don't know i think there's a there's a really interesting parallel between like you know like what is hap has happened in latin america in the last couple of decades and what has happened with soccer don't know there's
1: there's a bigger story there probably and it's funny to even suggest that when you're talking about the biggest uh one of the biggest athletes in, 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 I think in the history of sport. Uh, but it, it's, we don't know how this ends. You know, I think that's, no. what's really interesting. You know, like we don't know how Messi's story with Argentina is going to end. Uh, we can all debate about whether he is the best player in the world. The best player has, that has ever been. Is he bigger or better than Maradona? Uh, I, I spoke to British journalists on, on that's based in, in, in Argentina for Onco, but Daniel Edwards based in Buenos Aires. And I asked him that question I was like, Is will Messi ever surpass from a cultural standpoint? Cultural that had nothing to do with sports, it's a cultural standpoint. Diego Maradona, and like he didn't even waste a second. He's like, No, like, no, Diego is Diego. But is that that that's not Messi's goal, is it? Like, that's not the point of Messi.
2: I think he. No, I don't I don't know. I don't think it was ever his goal. And I think he certainly at some point realized, right? That he, at some point he realized, like, that's not I'm not going to be beloved in the same way. And it's because you're talking about who the profile is. Maradona represents a, a poor person working class person in Argentina Mm -hmm. Maradona represents also like someone who is brown you know like he's he's we talk about we have an episode coming out tomorrow and you know he's he's spoken about being like this mix of Guarani and Italiano Mm -hmm. like he represents an Argentina that that is very different from Messi's Argentina and he will always be like this kind of like brown working class hero you know And Maradona also the the people's hero, yeah, totally. And he also represents like a a masculinity, like an Argentineness. It's like the braggadocio, the arrogance, the swag. You called it that, like the swag. And Mm -hmm. like I have to say, like seeing Leo and Scaloni and the team, it's a very different kind of um, masculinity, and it's a very different kind, like this is a very humble, like sweet team. I feel like they're just, the profile is so like, of course we think of Argentines and you think of like, you know, like very arrogant and like, you know, boisterous <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and sometimes like, a little embarrassing for other Argentines where you're like, oh, God, bring it down a little. <laughs> um, but I see, I see Scaloni and I see Messi, and like, I, I feel so like proud because I they're just so um quite more dignified and, and humble and kind and like Messi came out recently and he was like here are some of the great teams in this cup like and I was listening to Scaloni give a press conference the other day and he was like well you know like there's some really amazing teams out there like you know Mexico, Poland like and it's like I don't know, like, he's giving props to his colleagues. It's just, like, a very loving and kind and low-profile team. I think some of it has to do with being from Rosario, from, like, you know, more than... Yeah. Perhaps. But I, I find it super refreshing to, to see such a, like, humble and, like, you know, noble team.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to slash courtside to learn more.
1: I think also they've managed and, it's, and again, you brought you you've mentioned this like it's it's it is a new generation of player. Uh, there's they I think they've this team in particular understands the new age of scrutiny. Especially that is attached to an Argentina national team. It's it's been there forever. It's been there since the ball was kicked in Argentina. Like you are criticized, you are scrutinized, you are vilified, you are idolized. Like all these things, Um, there's there's really no middle ground in 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 Argentine football, to be honest with you. But this team has found a way to like control the narrative a little bit by winning. Obviously, like they had to win. Copa America and with that they've just it's like they know they have this equity right now that they don't they don't have to say we're the best team like it's it's written somewhere else like we we know we're campeon America and and I think also they are being like this is a mature Messi this is every time I watch him now I'm like I'm sort of in awe of the way he has matured like he is a father of three boys um his interviews are so different than when he yeah. started giving them as a young child i think that has a lot to do with what you mentioned about the humility and just the growth of the team
2: yeah did you see laringa i don't know how you say Arenga. uh i think laringa is like pep talk that he gave i think mm-hmm. la copa yeah. Rica. and he's almost like a dad figure to these guys he's like okay yes. you know we've been quarantining <clears throat> everyone wants to go home you know let's do this and it's it's interesting because I had never heard Messi sound so powerful. And, you know, I, I might be giving. it's fine. A, episode, the episode that comes out tomorrow, <laughs> you know, um, there's this part where after the South Africa Copa, um, Maradona, a few years later, he says, like, look, he's, this kid is a good player, but he's not a captain. Like, he just gets too oh nervous. Gosh. He, like...
1: And, and it's Diego saying that, which he's oh, the ultimate it's, captain.
2: It's so hard, but he says like, he, like he just says like, you can't make, turn this kid into a captain. Like he's a good player, but he doesn't have the captain in him. And then to go from that to like this video of Messi and la Copa America, the last Copa America, giving this um, speech to his team. And you're like, he's a captain now, you know? And, and that, it's marvelous to see that
1: yeah and and i think what's so interesting about that clip which which there's a netflix documentary we i can't find it in the states i don't know if you have jasmine but uh there's a netflix documentary that you know really follows argentina through the copa america in 2021 and i remember when i saw that clip i was like wow that's great like that like goosebumps you know like you want to see that from messi even though i came to the point where like i don't i personally don't need to like i already respect him anyway but it was this huge shift and while i'm watching that i was also writing another story about argentina and i had a tab open an interview with um roberto Alaya, Ayala, ajala who was a former defender for argentina now an assistant on the co- on on the team and he gave an interview, you know, he was on the 2016 with Messi when Messi was like a child, you know, like a child in <laughs> professional standards. And he's he was asked, what was he like? And Ajala says, like, he didn't even talk. He didn't want to come out of his room during the World Cup in Germany. Yeah. Like, we had to, if it weren't for practice, Messi would have been in his room all day, you know, playing yeah. PlayStation or just wanting to avoid I- interacting with us. And look at the transformation of this player. It's just sort of incredible to see.
2: I think it's like, yeah, he's transformed and he's also like, I don't know, I think, I don't, again, I don't know Messi personally, so I can't speak to that, but I I do suspect there's something of like, as you mature, you really are able to digest your relationship with your home country uh, in a way that perhaps you and I can understand, like where you're like, you come Mm -hmm. to a place of peace with it. like. You were saying yeah. earlier about being angry at your dad, like, or angry, like, why did we leave Colombia? You know, I, yeah. I talk about it a little in this podcast, like, I was so angry, like, when we left. I was just, like, I, I was just so angry at, like, the universe and the world and, like, what happened? Like, my life fell apart, you know? Um, and the we, we, we have another constant voice in our podcast is Guillem Balaguer who's like the biographer yeah. of every
1: soccer he's great he's great <laughs> ever yeah for um, those that are listening also he's he's um a CBS correspondent now as well for Champions League all over CBS one of their best guys uh, covering on field reporter and just a great storyteller so yeah heavy wonderful. hitter in yeah
2: and he has he told us this thing which was like when Messi started at, he, Messi was 12 or 13 when he starts with with Bar-San. Like, 12 Mm. or 13, that's, like, the sixth grade. Like, think about what you were doing in the sixth grade. I was, like, obsessed with a Barbie, like, uh, the the, the mermaid Barbie. Like, I I was not really far away from home and training. And Balaguer says, like, you know, he would train, and then he would come home and lock himself in his room and cry so that his dad wouldn't hear him. Mm. And it's just, like... I think that what Messi has had to navigate and perhaps why he was so quiet around these other kids, you know, who didn't leave home, is just, you know, this very like difficult situation that like actually a lot of Latin American experience, you know, it's, it's quite universal, but it's just kind of like, how am I going to navigate my relationship with this home country that I love, that, you know, hasn't always been easy also.
1: And, and you mentioned it before, he, and this is something I definitely relate to, and you as well, you're a foreigner no matter where you are, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you're a foreigner back home, and you're yeah. a foreigner in your adopted country. And, and yeah. so when he goes to Spain at 12 and 13, he's, he's walking into La Masia, which yes, like they they have had international players before, but really, that's like the Barca school. It's like it's the yeah. Catalonia school of football. And he was stepping into it as an outsider. And certainly he had to have f- heard that from from the people around him, perhaps from the kids around him. Uh, but they, you know, Barca wasn't going to let him go. They weren't going to let him go, you know, no matter what.
2: Well, and what we go into that's so interesting for like the, you know, the really red meat soccer fans um, that we go into it with you and with Guillem and we talk, We have uh, Xavi Hernández on his uh, his first coach in Barça on the show, you know, all the Incredible. with all the uh, more analytical. Um, we go into like what Barça asks Messi to do is to play a fundamentally t- different type of soccer than what he's been playing because, as you very well mentioned on our podcast in Argentina, the the soccer style is the potrero style, right? It's Which playground is, style. Yeah, yeah like no goal like I, I was talking to my dad about this the other day because he grew up on the potrero. it's like no goalies no sorry no refs no refs so you're gonna have to fight your case uh right. it's like no rules uneven land it's really rough by any means necessary and it's very individualistic hence the right. ultimate Maradona." like 86 he like dodges through six or seven British players and he's alone and he does it for you all by himself, Lone Ranger style. You know, when Messi gets to La Masia, he's literally getting into fights with people who are like, Hey, you got to pass the ball, buddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was used to just dribbling everybody all over the place.
2: I know. And on, on tomorrow's episode, there's like, um, there's this fight he gets into with Rafa Marquez. rafa marquez is like rafa marquez is older than messi when he gets Uh there rafa marquez is like listen son you're gonna have to pass the ball
1: (laughs) i mean Messi. Um, like the thing is you you mentioned going to rosario there's there's that famous like now we all know it the clip of him as like an 11 year old probably right before he left for barca and he's just toying with these players at his age bigger than him Wearing the Newell's jersey, dribbling, having fun—you uh, can see the talent. Uh, but it was a huge step to go to Europe right. at that age and and have to be indoctrinated into like a totally different culture of the sport. And then, I mean, obviously in the end, it helped him. But it's funny now he's saying publicly like what we did at Barcelona under Pep Guardiola was—he says it sort of sarcastically like ruined the game because so many people want wanted to now copy what we did. Um, and and it's, it's difficult to take these, those talented players and just try to find them all over the world. But Messi, to me, Jasmine, and I want to ask you this because he is a universal figure and we touched on it at the beginning, but I do want you to talk about the English language aspect of the podcast, perhaps a little bit in, in, in know why you decided to do that like i know there's a a a heavy spanish-speaking npr audience there's great content for in spanish for via npr and futuro studios and and it's it's the list is long but what was your decision-making process to actually decide like let's do this in spanish as well
2: i mean i think that it's a story that just naturally you know we always say in radio like when you know when the story gets complicated and you don't know how to tell it naturally it's like think of if you went to a bar and you were sitting at a bar with a friend how would you tell the story and I would always tell it in Spanish because <laughs> I don't know it's a story that, that I would tell in Spanish and I don't know I gotta tell you like from the, the listener we're getting I've never gotten so many beautiful listener emails like in my life I'm a criminal justice correspondent I get a lot of non-beautiful <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> uh, emails and letters, but like th- I would say they're like maybe 90% of them are in Spanish, and it's people writing in with stories. Like every morning, I, I'm waking up and I'm, I have coffee, and like I honestly, like I tear up a little because I have like this morning I woke up and these like two Costa Rican twins were wrote to me and were like, you know, I. I, I can't tell you what this, like, this is what happened to me. And I've gotten people writing in. I have had someone write in from Virginia who left during the Argentine dictatorship. And she was just like, yeah, like, it's like you were telling my story. You know, wow. it's like, the the that's my story. And when I, we started doing this podcast, I did have this moment where I was like, well, are people going to be able to identify with, like, the story of this soccer player who's now a millionaire and a superstar, you know, like it, maybe not.
1: Probably but, a billionaire, by the way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there's something that really resonated, you know, and, and it felt like it would have been like una injusticia, like it wouldn't have done it justice to yeah. not tell it in Spanish because it is such a quintessentially Latin American story, you know.
1: It is. It is. And that's why I think we so many of us relate to it. It's it's just a completely different take on Messi's story. It's an incredible one. Uh let's let me end it on this. I'm just gonna put you on the spot. I'm gonna put you Uh-oh. on the spot, Jasmine. <laughs> we talked about it at the beginning. Uh how do you how do you honestly believe and again you had to sort of remove the emotional side yeah. as an argentine okay, here but like <laughs> by the way if you're now watching you're like she's wearing a boca juniors hoodie which is very cool uh <laughs> how does the story end how do you think this story ends for Messi? because we're listen this is a very happy sort of vibe around the argentine team right now around Messi. Everyone's sort of rooting for him. But what happens if he doesn't get it done?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be very sad if he doesn't get it done. Like, I, I think a lot of people will be sad. I think that he, what I sense is that he's come to peace with the the relationship with back home. It goes back to what we were saying about, like, you get to a point of, of maturity in which you come to a place of peace with this very complicated relationship you have with the place you left. And I think that Massey, like, I don't think he will maybe be this like mythical figure like Maradona, because they represent different things. But I think that Mm -hmm. he has really come to a place of peace where people, there's like, if Maradona inspires adoration, like almost religious adoration, I, I yeah. sense that there's a sen- like a feeling of tenderness towards Messi, like of like protect him, like a. I, I'm trying to say the word cariño. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know. translate.
1: It's hard to <laughs> translate the word cariño, but it's like a, It is affection. It is affection. You know, like there's a different level of affection towards Messi than towards Maradona because you said it. Like there's literally a church dedicated to Maradona. So
2: <laughs> I think with Messi, there's the tenderness of like yeah he has he's tried he's lovely he's a kind he seems to be a kind person a sweet guy and he's you know like someone who clearly really loves us and he's done his best and we're gonna like we're gonna love him you know and like it won't be the maybe the same ferocious passion but i mean i think that even if he doesn't win where's some wood on wood. But even if <laughs> <laughs> but even if he doesn't, like yeah. I think he achieved what so many people who leave home yearn for, which is to have some kind of relationship with your home country. And yeah. I think that's maybe like the victory that we will get to celebrate if if nothing else.
1: Oh boy. Oh boy. I mean, again, I I have this, here's what I think though. If, if it, if he doesn't win the world cup title, it depends on how he doesn't win it. If Argentina loses a heartbreaker in the final, like they have so many times under Messi, four times, four finals that Messi has been a part of, they have lost. Uh, If they implode and this lovely story that we're telling doesn't come to fruition, what does that mean for his legacy? I, I, I tend to side with you, though, Jasmine. Like, I know that there's this pressure that, oh, he has to win the World Cup to solidify where he is and the, the status of great footballers. But it's almost like he's also done enough already uh, to that if he doesn't win the World Cup, yes, it's a stain, but it's not one that. I think, debilitates his 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 lifelong legacy in Argentina. I don't know if you agree.
2: No. I, yeah, I agree. I think that, like, the victory for Messi is to have gotten el cariño, like the the care and the affection of of people in Argentina. Like there's a care and an affection like cariño is a hard word to to translate. It's not love. It's it's no. like affection or tenderness, like the tenderness mm-hmm. of people in Argentina. Like I don't, I don't think there's gonna like I there will be outliers, of course. But there, there will be people who will be like, oh, he's the worst. He didn't win for us again. But I think for the most part, there's like such a tenderness towards him now that he's not gonna get the level of vitriol of like 2011 yes. Messi, where it was like, whoa, they're like bringing down statues of him. <laughs> Calm yeah, down.
1: They're just. Yeah, the uh, statue of his was restored story twice uh, in, in, <laughs> yeah. in Buenos Aires. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, go. Finish no, your thought. No, I just
2: think that. I think that the victory is that he got the cariño of his people, yeah. you know, oh, and will he be like fervently adored by like Maradona? I don't even know if a World Cup would do that for him. He just represents something different, you know, but he has our cariño,
1: that's a really good point. Perhaps the newest, newest generation of footballers, football fans, Argentina fans will say, "Okay, Messi won. He is the man. He is the greatest player I've ever seen. Greater than Maradona. Maybe they didn't even see Maradona, but I think the the longevity of Maradona's uh, you know legend will always will always supersede anyone else really that comes before you know that comes after him." Uh, Jasmine Garst, NPR correspondent criminal justice and immigration correspondent and now fabulous Lionel Messi <laughs> storyteller and podcast host. Um, please give it a listen. The Last Cup, you can find it anywhere where you listen to your podcast. It's one of those series where I'm noticing in the comments and in this, these messages that you bring up is that it's like when you're watching a series and you have to wait till Sunday for the episode to drop. People are like they're anxious about the the next episode that's coming in the last cup. So like, cheers to you. That says a lot.
2: Thank you, and thank you for being on the last cup, Felipe. You are <laughs> like a recurring character on the last cup, and it's <laughs> I'm happy that that you you're in every episode. I think. Every oh my single gosh! Episode, what an honor. Like, like dropping knowledge bombs, like well, I. You know what in 1923
1: <laughs> it's like <what? laughs> sorry sorry my parents were like my that now my parents realize it today they're like all you did was read the sports pages and talk about soccer as a kid you're not going to get anywhere <laughs> well
2: no i, I mean did.
1: maybe i did
2: you you're just great in it so thanks for thanks for you're, you're like one of the backbones of the series.
1: So thank you. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, thank you for including me. Thanks for coming on COPA. Jasmine, hope to have you on again. Uh, just to repeat, find the last cup. NPR correspondent Jasmine Garz, thank you.
2: Thank you. Bye.